This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update video and podcast. Today, we're talking with Dr. Gerald Harmon, AMA president and a family medicine specialist in Pawleys Island, South Carolina about the important role that physicians can play at this pivotal moment in the pandemic and the support that they need to do so. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Harmon, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. I know you get a busy day uh, between uh, your practice and being AMA president, so thanks for being here. Um, we're gonna dig right in and start on the topic of vaccine mandates, which is something that the AMA had strongly supported um, but we had a supreme couple of Supreme Court decisions a few weeks ago, uh, and then uh, as a result, the Biden administration was forced to withdraw its mandate, which would have required employees at large companies to either be vaccinated or regularly tested. Um, what happens now, and how can physicians help? Todd, thanks for having me with you. It is a busy day in every doctor's practice these days, it seems like, so thank you. But part of what we have to do is be uh, ambassadors for vaccines. So we have to do that as part of our day. This is part of my day today as AMA president. It's part of every physician's day uh, in practice these days. You know, it, it, we need to understand that although the uh, uh, Supreme Court decided that the vaccine mandate as described was not uh, consistent with, uh, was not constitutional, what we have decided, and I think we know is that vaccines do work. Effective vaccination with uh, appropriate full vaccination and boosters seem to have a substantial influence on reducing the uh, spread of the COVID, uh, including all variants and even Omicron right now. So it's very important to get vaccinated. We still encourage large employees and any employer to require or recommend to their employees to get vaccinated fully. Not only will it help the employers, the employees themselves, it'll protect the other employees, it'll protect their families, their loved ones, It'll allow the employer to keep the practices open, the businesses open, to be the economic engine for recovery that we need to be in the COVID pandemic. So we still are preaching the, the sermon of getting vaccinated and encouraging employers of every size to require vaccinations for their employees. Thank you. When uh, you think about this pandemic for two years, you know, there's been a great deal of confusion, part of which is because we're always learning uh, along the way here, but uh, I can't recall a more confusing time than right now. We get lots of questions for folks about boosters, about testing, quarantine, isolation rules. You know, how do you help your patients keep up and navigate these issues? Well, it is. I can tell you from my personal experience in my practice, I literally field probably a dozen questions every day, including Saturdays and Sundays. It is a seven day a week operation in small town America. I'll tell you that. I get questions from, I think I've been exposed, uh, or my sister's been exposed, or my brother, or I've got a persistent cough, or I've got a headache, or some undefined, ill-defined symptom that they're wondering, can this be COVID? Because we tell them with the new uh, variants, some of the symptoms are a little more subtle. It's not always a loss of sense of taste or smell or shortness of breath, and the previous variants have indicated is their warning signs that you've gotten it. And now we have such a transmissible variant in the uh, uh, Omicron variant that everybody's a little suspicious, any out of mm -hmm. a, the ordinary symptom. So they ask me, and what we tell them is, I try to be consistent in my advice. If you think you've been, if you know you've been exposed, then certainly try to get a test and certainly quarantine until you're 
can be tested if you've been exposed. They asked me about treatments. I tried to talk about their various treatments. There's been a little confusion with the uh, withdrawal of certain treatments that are found to be no longer effective. There are now some oral treatments that can be difficult to find if you can find them at all. And then the quarantine times, the isolation times have been a little bit mi mixed in the messaging from the CDC and other uh, societies. So the, the confusion is, is really, unfortunately, part of the uh, learning process, as you indicate. We learn more and more about this coronavirus pandemic over the last 23 months. We didn't need, we didn't really have a lot of concerns about it before because we, we were learning on the go. And this is science. Science is going to be based upon studies, upon experiences. It's not going to be mathematics with a fixed mm -hmm. number to start with. So as the science evolves, we have to evolve our therapies and our recommendations and ask everyone to continue to be variable uh, or at least be sensitive to the fact that, that sometimes the recommendations can change, but they tend to change on the for the better. They changed consistent with the knowledge in this science, and they seem to be a, recommending the right things to do at the right time. No one's deliberately trying to mislead us. They're all trying to give current science-based information. And that's really been the, the challenge of this pandemic uh, around communication, uh, given what you kind of just laid out. Um, with those challenges that you just outlined, how, how do we make sure that we're delivering uh, people, you know, the facts uh, on a timely basis, science-based, and, you know, rebuild trust uh, in, you know, our nation's healthcare institutions. Todd, I found myself in the last, probably more in the last couple of months than I did at the early start of the pandemic, realizing that we have, certainly we have a pandemic, a coronavirus pandemic, an infectious disease pandemic, but we also have a bit of a pandemic of mistrust and distrust and perhaps miscommunication that's causing and exacerbating uh, what is already a, a problem uh, of the viral pandemic. We need to continue to understand that we need to be vaccine and truth ambassadors in healthcare. The trusted physician, a local physician, a community physician like myself and many others in America can demystify some of the processes that we're talking about. You know, there's you can ask the questions of your patients. They can ask you individually, will this particular vaccine or that particular vaccine affect my fertility? Will it affect my uh, uh, heart? Can it affect, uh, can it make me infectious? Things like that. I try to answer specifically the questions that my patients bring to me. Mm -hmm. If I answer them with facts, with my perspective, and my recommendations, all of our studies show that that trusted family doc or that trusted physician advisor, or healthcare advisor can really sway and encourage people uh, to take uh, appropriate precautions, whether it's public health precautions, whether it's vaccine acceptance, whether it's treatment uh, options, certainly whether it's quarantine and isolation. So we need to be purveyors of the truth and we need to answer these questions with the best science available, knowing that we are trusted advisors for healthcare for everyone. Now with two years of this pandemic kind of under our belt, we also are thinking a lot about how we support uh, physicians uh, and healthcare teams who've been under such enormous strain and continue to be uh, to this day. You know, you're uh, a person with experience both uh, in your own private practice and in health systems. And as president of the AMA, you're talking to your colleagues all over the country every day and hearing uh, what they're going going through, you know, in your mind, as you think about that, what, what do you think people need to hear most right now about the challenges that physicians are facing? And how is the AMA addressing those challenges? You know, Todd, 
we were already struggling with um, workforce issues in healthcare and physicians. We were already challenged in, uh, in independent private practices with maintaining that practice model. With current surveys the AMA is performing showing that less than 50% of doctors are in independent private practice. Uh, and that continues to decrease every year. So economic viability of private practice model has been concerned, has been a concern of the AMA for some time now. And then when you take the pandemic that threw in here, decreased access, we had to close some practices, we lost uh, opportunities to uh, take care of chronic diseases, patients could not get to us, Our, uh, we had isolation, quarantine imposed upon us, we had concerns about PPE, patients were concerned about being in a, a waiting room where they might be contagious uh, or be exposed to chronic diseases. All those economic pressures were, were really thrust upon us. We're already beginning to struggle. And then we've had, thank goodness, some regulatory relief. We've had the CARES Act. We've had some release of funding, thank goodness, to, to sustain us. But now we're also having to address, and doctor's offices are not just discussing pandemic-related issues. We're discussing economic issues. We have had to uh, uh, take some legislative efforts and advocate on behalf of uh, physicians with a certain parts of what's called the surprise no surprise billing act so it's been a concern for us we like the idea and we very much support keeping patients out of the billing process and having to not worry about economic issues but the physicians need to be uh, fairly treated when they deliver health care and the insurance company it seems to be uh, in a little bit of a in, in some of my comments the recipient of an early holiday gift when the uh, regulators interpreted part of the act and strongly in favor of the uh, insurance industry to the uh, detriment of physicians. Also, we've had uh, doctors have su substantial concerns about economic viability of the Medicare payment system. We haven't had a, 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 a real positive update in healthcare for, uh, payment for physicians over the last 20 years. And on average, we've lost 20% of our economic buying power over the last two decades. And without an end in sight, we're still subject to budget neutrality, the only part of the healthcare delivery system that's capped. So we really need to have a, a lifeline from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service in Congress to allow us to have economic viability to sustain our practices. If we can keep our doors open, if we can keep independent practice available, we'll have better health care for all. That's one of our, our mission, uh, the betterment of public health. So all of this is not lost in the middle of the COVID pandemic. I mean, just hearing all of those things that you just talked about, those obstacles, of course, it's so important uh, that we speak with a unified voice, um, but it's also not surprising that this, you know, the concept of the great resignation that we hear so much about is affecting healthcare and it's affecting physicians. In fact, you know, last year we heard a really staggering statistic that one in five healthcare workers had left medicine since the pandemic began, and that was before Omicron. So, uh, you know, it's tough. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Yeah, you have served in the, in the military. Is this like, like a, a war for our healthcare workforce? It must feel like that being in the trenches for two years. And how, how do we prevent physicians and healthcare teams from being the casualties of this war? We have to watch that. 
You're, you're exactly right. The great resignation is across all workforces, but it's particularly important in healthcare. You mentioned the one in five healthcare workers have left. Our uh, surveys right now indicate that two in five nurses are planning to retire or leave the healthcare workforce in the next year or two. One in five physicians, and this is in, across the entire healthcare uh, worker workforce, whether it's respiratory therapy, pharmacists, dentists, physicians, nurses, it, it, just, it, it seems to be non-ending. And I'll tell you, it's a lot like battle fatigue. It really is, in my military experience, you keep wondering, when is it ever going to end? Because now we're in the middle of the third wave where we have, now Omicron has been around, it is actually uh, having a higher fatality rate than previous, than the Delta variant. You might think, oh, it's, a, it's not quite as serious, it's not quite as virulent. But because of its acute and extreme transmissibility, with 99.5% of the cases in the U.S. being Omicron now, it's had a substantial killer impact on our daily mortality rate. We're setting record highs in many locations. It also is diverting and delaying some care that we might otherwise be able to provide for other patients. Issues, chronic diseases continue to, to be with us, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. And now that you have uh, COVID is the third leading cause of death in the U.S., we are getting a little tired. And so you're getting some healthcare worker fatigue and burnout. I um, I think we need to consider that and we need to make sure that we take care of our healthcare workers with uh, the reality that they need to be afforded some behavioral health support. We've had Congress with uh, the Lorna Breen Act uh, recently passed that shows that healthcare workers can access and, and be supported in behavioral health issues. But behavioral health needs to have more than just words. It needs to have some infrastructure placed in it. We need to destigmatize uh, healthcare workers who say, hey, I need a little help, encouragement. I, I'm, I'm stressed a little bit. You need to be able to, to seek that kind of advice. You need to have resources for you. And we need to have what we don't have, and that's behavioral health and mental health parity. And I would encourage those that are uh, seeking to support uh, physicians and healthcare teams to look at the AMA website. The AMA offers a, a wide variety of resources uh, for physician wellness. Um, Dr. Harmon, uh, one of the things that we've seen throughout this pandemic is, and everything that was kind of uh, a challenge in healthcare before was just made worse by the pandemic. And uh, you, you gotta look at the public health infrastructure and say, uh, we need to be more prepared uh, than we were for this uh, going in. How, how do we uh, approach and strengthen the public health infrastructure and fix the problems that we, we've seen exposed through this pandemic? But Todd, you've heard myself and others say that the public health system, when it's working, it's out of sight, literally out of mind. You don't really think public health, whether you're a regulator, whether you're a, a, a bureaucrat, whether you're a legislator, uh, even administrative leads in, in cities, counties, and states and in the nation, because the public health infrastructure just quietly hums along, taking care of routine public health issues. We don't have a pandemic, and you don't even know it's there. And when we have a pandemic, that's when we know we have to really resource and have a robust public health infrastructure, because if we don't have one, we find what we just found out over the last two years. You'd have difficulty distributing medications, distributing vaccines, distributing uh, testing supplies, protective equipment, all that infrastructure was under-resourced, unfortunately, for the last decade. So now we've learned what we need to do to, to treat this pandemic. But more importantly, we need to make sure we can prepare for the next pandemic, because there will be another one. And, and military analogies, right now, the, uh, the military is not just fighting the current war and past wars. We need to be prepared for, for fighting future wars. So same thing applies to public health infrastructure. We need to make sure that 
we recognize funding needs to be in place, not just for physician care, but for public health care. You need to have healthcare workers trained, nurses with the infrastructure in the community level. That's where the public health is best done at the community level. You need to make sure you have infrastructure that uses technology now. We have a lot of innovative technologies, telehealth, digital health. We need to expand broadband. That's part of the AMA's advocacy to improve broadband in uh, uh, rural areas of the country and even some urban areas that don't have good broadband. And we need to think also that when we do this, we're not only going to help the pandemic, we're going to address what has been a real problem AMA has recognized too, and that's their area of health disparities. Many of our uh, most affected persons by this pandemic are communities of color, underserved communities in marginalized areas in the United States, in rural areas like where I live and in urban areas like inner city in the west side of Chicago. We need to have a public health infrastructure that's there for them in the next pandemic as well. Dr. Harmon, last question. I know from your kind of vantage point, uh, you're seeing, you hear a lot, you're talking with a wide variety of physicians every day and listening to their questions, hearing about their situations. You know, what's the, the one thing you'd like to tell physicians right now? It's a team-based approach. I will tell you that I've given a lot of talks over the last several months uh, to the, with the theme of why uh, organized medicine matters, why membership in organized medicine matters. Well, as a team, Organizations like the AMA and other specialty and state medical societies can provide the resources that these younger physicians need, that those that have stress need, that stress medical practices, uh, educational needs, uh, addressing public health issues. The medical organizations, uh, what we call uh, societies of medicine, like organized medicine, the AMA, that's the way to make your voices and needs met and heard when you deal with the regulators, deal with the administrators, and they they, they get a, a cacophony otherwise of requests about how to do things. But if you have organized medicine, if you have the science-based approach, that's organized medicine is, is a real benefit. I'll tell you what I also tell people, and I, I, I get to talk to a lot of medical students. I practice with students and residents and a young, young doctors in practice, and I speak with a lot of organizations. Not long ago, I was down in Florida speaking to a group, a diverse group of uh, physicians, medical students uh, of every career path, uh, young physicians, senior physicians, retirees, and uh, residents in training. And I was there, and Dr. Doug Murphy, who is the president of Florida Medical Association, and I were speaking on the uh, agenda. We had a common theme. What we told our, these young doctors and, and, and mid-career doctors and senior doctors who are having some of the distress, some of the burnout, they're, they're, they're seeing wave after wave of COVID situations, they're having economic issues, they're having societal issues with distrust, all the things that are burdening a lot of members of society right now. We reminded them, Dr. Murphy and I did, that being a physician is a real gift. We have such a gift to be able to, to literally give back to the community that we all wrote down our applications for medical school. I wanna serve humanity and give back to the community. We have that gift. We've been allowed to be doctors, a very esteemed profession, and we uh, can, can, can do so much with those gifts. Uh, I know it's a challenge. Uh, we need help when we get stressed and we get behavioral health issues. Uh, but I think we both think that this is such a gift. Let's, let's make sure that to do what I did in, uh, when I first became president of AMA, remember the quote from Revolutionary War, War General, uh, Dr. Joe Warren, Major General Joseph Warren. Um, let's, let's remember the actions that we take in this pandemic will affect generations of Americans yet unborn. And we need to act worthy of ourselves. 
I think all of us on this podcast, all of us in medicine are demonstrating an incredible worthiness as we take appropriate steps for, for uh, our country, our nation, our profession, and respond positively to the COVID pandemic. We will get through it. I, I, I'm a perpetual optimist. We will get past it. Just take individual steps. Think about what we can do to continue to respond positively and, and, and serve the profession in a worthy manner. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today, Dr. Harmon, and for all the work that you're doing uh, to support physicians, uh, students, residents out there, and uh, uh, they need it right now. So uh, that concludes today's COVID-19 update video and podcast. We'll be back with another segment soon. If you need more resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us today and please take care. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.